Hello, everybody, and welcome to Sound of Play. Every Wednesday in Sound of Play, we bring you some of our and your favourite pieces from the many video game soundtracks we've enjoyed over the decades. And joining me, Leon Cox, in Sound of Play 297 is Kane and Rince's Mikhail Croder. Hi. Hi. How are you doing? Not too shabby. Also uh, also from Hit Piece Studios, more of which later. Mm, yeah. Also from Video Wizards. Yeah, the, the list is growing, it seems. I know. You have your... Irons in many fires. Yeah, <laughs> indeed. An increasing number of fires. But not Hellfire. Not Hellfire. Very good segue. You're here to talk to us about some game music that you wanted to bring to our listeners' attention. And we open the show with a piece that may be familiar to many. Mm. For those of us who grew up with the arcade games of Makaimura and Daimakaimura, Ghosts and Goblins, Ghouls and Ghosts, and of course, Super Ghouls and Ghosts. We've covered each of those in Kane and Rint's podcast past. We did separate shows on each of those because we had so much to say. And of course, uh, our guest Ben from One Credit Classics and Video Wizards had a lot to talk about those games because he's he's played through them once or twice. Yeah. Uh, check his channel for more detail. He did so last um, Thursday again at the time of recording. I yeah. know. Yeah, I know. He's uh, he's a man obsessed. Mm. And I want to talk to you a little bit about this. So obviously we're focusing on the music. Yeah, and we'll talk we'll talk about that. But Ghosts and Goblins Resurrection came out earlier this year, not so long ago, on the Switch yeah. uh, with the involvement of the uh, the original producer, uh, and. It's uh, it's reviewed pretty well, mm. but I watched a uh, uh, an honest trailers video, a channel that I admire and enjoy their work very much. They do very funny and and witty and uh, insightful gags on contemporary movies, but they also do some games. Mm. 
But their honest trailer on Ghosts and Goblins and Res- Resurrection was not kind mm. <laughs> at all. Right. It was uh, it was very much. Uh, it, I mean, it, it it was like a direct attack on Ben <laughs> for really? people basically sort of like. I mean, they didn't name him, but it was it was all it was all sort of you know you know like people who play this are basically you know kind of um, people who want to you know show off and torture themselves and then show off about how much they tortured themselves. It was all this kind of thing. Yeah, and, that's, and then, that's uh, <laughs> that's kind of uh, I don't I think that's uh, that says more about that channel than it says about. Well, this is it, and as players. I say, not. Obviously, the you know the writers of of that script, uh, I guess you know they're they're channeling their honest opinions. But it was it was unusually harsh. I felt, and it, mm. even more so, it continued into the, their critique of the new game, Ghosts and Goblins Resurrection, saying that it was not only all like all the old games and horrible in those ways, but it was worse because it was harder to control and all this kind of thing. And I was like, really? Now I I bought this game as soon as it came out. Yeah, and uh, I am in no way anywhere near as good a ghouls or ghosts player as someone like Ben. Mm. Like we we covered those games for the podcast, and I use save states and and whatever else to get through. But uh, I played some Ghosts and Goblins Resurrection, and I was immediately impressed by how canonical it felt. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but it's, to me, it feels a little bit different, but not in a off putting way or anything. Mm. Um, ta- yeah, it feels close enough. At least, yeah. And the art style obviously is a different one. They've they've moved away from a pixel art, or they could have gone for another pixel art looking game and, and yeah. maybe brought that up to date. But they went for this sort of paper crafty kind of uh, puppet sort of uh, look. And I I think for me, obviously, it's very much a, a, a subjective thing. But I found it it grew on me the more I played yeah, the game. Yeah, I think it's very charming. Um, throughout the game. Some levels look less impressive than others, though. It's right. a little bit yeah. of a, it's an inconsistency in just how mm-hmm. visually impressive or appealing it is for me. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. But uh, but all, all in all, this I kind of like the storybook uh, look to it. What yeah. And I think, I mean, yeah, it for. certainly feels to me like a, a, a legitimate legacy you know title in the legacy of, of ghosts and goblins it doesn't feel like a yeah. one of those awful modern knockoffs that we've seen on for downloadable games before it feels like it's part of the series to me it is but you can't treat it i think like an arcade ghouls and ghosts or ghosts and goblins goblins game because uh, you know it's not a game where you have a set amount of lives and you just have to go for the one credit like ben does it's uh pretty much uh infinite retries and the, the difficulty modes also, or the difficulty levels also have a lot of changes between them. And oh, yeah. I think the way I see it, I've, I've heard some unkind takes from uh, fans of the series as well, but the way I see it is this is pretty much Fujiwara unleashed because, yeah. because of the fact that there are no infinite lives anymore and this isn't an arcade game. It mm. can be longer and it can be even more mean than the older games were. Yes. Because at yes. least you're not cheated out of your money when absolute horrible stuff happens to you. And he, he does go, I mean, the design of this game does go a lot further in terms of yeah. meanness than the old games even did. You know, if you think you're, the old games were right. mean and unfair, this yeah. one, you wouldn't want to, you wouldn't want to do this uh, on a, with, with a, a, a limited amount of lives. Yeah. What we should say for those who are maybe on the fence or, or that sounds completely off putting, there's actually a, a the lowest, lowest difficulty of the five. I think there are yeah. uh, is pretty much a walk in the park. Yeah. 
It is, yeah. Because you you just you just got infinite respawns, so yeah. uh, and you don't have to redo checkpoints. So exactly, everyone is catered for. I think it's fair to yeah. say. Yeah, and even on the um, highest difficulty, there's still the mitigating factor of uh, you being able to upgrade your magic to ridiculous levels. That's uh, right. Which pretty much, you know, there's a lot of the the magic skills that you or the magic abilities that you can have that mitigate a lot of the nonsense that's being thrown at you. Anyway, an interesting game, one that perhaps we'll look at in the future on a cane and rinse. But uh, obviously, one of the considerations about bringing a, 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 a retro game, a, a vintage game up to date is how to tackle the audio side of things. Mm. And I think uh, some of the sound has made its way over pretty much some of these sort of audio effects have made their way over and some of them have been updated and, and modernized. But uh, the music, as you can imagine, for a game with such memorable themes, has it's been embellished and uh, you know bolstered with modern sounding sound libraries and things like that but a lot of the tunes are yeah they're arranged versions right yeah like or- orchestral versions but here's the funny thing the uh, top route of the levels you can choose are um a callback most yeah mostly a callback to ghosts and goblins yes and the bottom row of levels are a callback to ghouls and ghosts that's right and the top levels all have more of a FM synth kind of sound to them. And mm-hmm. the bottom levels all have more of a, yeah, or orchestral sound to them. Mm-hmm. So the big example of this, if you go into the first stage, is the Ghosts and Goblins theme, the one that we all know, and the one that's in the first stage of Ghouls and Ghosts as well. So you yeah. take the top one, then it's yes. very FM synthy. If you take the bottom level, the Ghouls and Ghosts inspired level, then it's orchestral sounding. Which is a nice choice, I think. Yeah. So, and the one we've opened the show here with is, I think, one of our favourites from the original Ghouls and Ghosts soundtrack. Indeed. But brought up to uh, to twenty twenty one sounds. Yeah, yeah. So it uh, that it already had kind of a little bit of a folksy um, character, right? The original Very track. Much did. So, yeah. yeah. So that was the uh, the second stage in Ghouls and Ghosts. Where you start out with the the, the you know the, was the hopping turtles, the hopping turtles, burning, yeah, it was, burning windmills, yeah, the burning windmills, the burning village, or I can't exactly yeah, recall the name of the. Uh, I think it is possibly canonically called the burning village, something like uh, that. Yeah. Now it's called Hellfire Hamlet. Yeah, nice. Which makes sense. Mm. And uh, yeah, it's uh, it's it's very reminiscent and derivative of that level, but then of course longer and expanded upon. Um, and yeah, the track, as I said, had this sort of folksy character to it, and that's been retained only with some more, you know, uh, not synthetic sounding instrumentation, but uh, mm. yeah, analog sounding instrumentation. So, I hope you enjoyed that, listener. It was uh, the original was by Tamayo Kawamoto, and the arranged version or versions we don't know exactly who worked on which tracks, but we've got Masato Kauda. Kento Hasegawa and Ryuta Hida on the soundtrack for Ghost and Goblins Resurrection. And I think that OST is on Spotify, I believe. Nice. Now we have something also recent and also from the Switch, from a game that isn't even finished yet, although I'm, I'm absolutely confident this piece of music will feature in the finished mm. game. This was requested by Richard from the forum, who says there was something for everyone in Nintendo's first Direct in ages back in February 2021. But nothing got me more excited than the immediate drop of the meaty and awkwardly titled Project Triangle Strategy debut demo. 
While it will be quite some time until the game releases, I was happy to get my first chance at digging into this new tactical RPG. The look and feel of it retains all of the charm of Octopath Traveller, and with all the political intrigue that made Final Fantasy Tactics so great. And anyone who complained about Octopath's lack of connective tissue regarding the story will have nothing to grouse about here. It took me four hours to finish the demo, which included two short battles, and the rest was all story and dialogue, much of which is voice acted. Another treat, of course, is what has been revealed of Akira Senju's sweeping soundtrack so far, which captures the cinematic feel of this nascent title. Here is one of the many intense battle themes already on offer. I, for one, cannot wait for the final game. This is the track only known so far as Battle 06.
from Art Dink and Nechaburi's upcoming game that may end up being called Project Triangle Strategy or may not. We don't know yet. They'll probably just get rid of the project and call it a day like they did with Octopath Traveler. Very good point. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Square Enix has published that. Uh, he's publishing that on uh, on Switch at some point. I don't know exactly when it's due out, but uh, lovely sounds. I'm, I was very happy that Octopath Traveler, after sitting on my Switch wish list for, well, since it came out, uh, just dropped on Xbox all of a sudden on Game Pass. Really? Which, uh, yeah, saved me 50 quid. Oh, I thought it was a complete Switch exclusive. I had no yeah, idea it was it's, coming to Xbox. No, I don't think anyone did. It was coming to PC. That was announced. Mm. And then right before it came out on PC... It was announced for Game Pass, and then people were saying, what, get Game Pass for PC? It's like, no, console two. And there it was, wow. day one. So, Interesting. Uh, I mean, that, that game did actually drop to half price on the Switch store for a while, so it's not always been the full whack 50 quid that you expect to pay for these things. Yeah. But, uh, but yeah, uh, this is not the Octopath Traveler, but the, obviously this is uh, the same the same team. And, yes, as a fan of... Japanese uh, turn-based strategy and tactics games. I am curious about this, Me although too. I must confess I haven't played the demo yet. Have you? No. Um, I usually, like you, I presume, or I seem to remember, I'm not really very keen often to jump on demos and get sort of like, you mm. know, an unfinished half half of a, or not even a half, or a little bit of a taster of a game. Yeah. I'd rather just sit down with the whole thing so I can keep on playing. Yeah, it sounds like as demos go, and, and I, I don't know if this one is the same as the Octopath Traveler demo, but that was one of those demos that was effectively just the start of the game and yeah. you could save your progress, which I I think is quite a different yeah. prospect than the vertical slice type of demo. It is, yeah. But it's not always better, I don't think, from my point of view, because often the opening of games, especially very long RPGs yeah. is not always the most enticing part of the game. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, the amount of people who have started some of the most beloved sort of long games, not just RPGs, all kinds of genres. Yeah. And they've been like, you know, the old quote that you'll see on Twitter is like, when does this get good? Everyone told me to play this and I'm yeah. really bored. So, but it sounds like, I mean, obviously our, our, our uh, correspondent here, Richard, has had a great time with the demo. Yeah. And I think maybe... But it's telling, if you read between the lines, that he said mm. it took four hours, there were two <laughs> short battles, and the rest was story and dialogue. That's a, that is a good point. Yeah. yeah. And as much as so that is a part of this, this kind of genre, um, yeah. yeah, a tactical RPG or a strategy RPG... Yeah, kind of revolves around its actual tactics for me. You make a good point. I would very much like to get my hands more into the into the the actual the gameplay. Yeah, uh, obviously the yeah the the, the story and and so on it, it can be an important part of it as well. But mm. uh, for me, like yourself, that's not normally enough just by itself because you you know you think well yeah. I could just watch a watch a, a an anime or read a manga or something. Yeah, exactly. But. Uh, but it may be that those those two little battles are are enough of a vertical slice to to yeah. give a to give a an overall view of of what can be expected in the game and certainly it sounds like there's quite a bit of music mm. in the uh, within the hours that you play and uh, and i've certainly enjoyed listening to this uh, this tune that we've just heard there mm. from richard so uh I may hold off, or if I ever have a, a rainy afternoon, the, yeah, the, the apocryphal rainy afternoon, it sounds like the kind of game that I could uh, have a sampling <laughs> of. 
Yeah, I need a whole bunch of the rainy afternoons. Yeah, just yeah, a few millennia of rainy <laughs> afternoons. Yeah, yeah. The, even post-pandemic. Well, not that we're post-pandemic yet, but uh, mm. even in pandemic and post-lockdowns and and all that sort of thing, none none of it's really made a dent in the amount of time that we all need as enthusiast gamers to me <laughs> to uh, getting on top of this stuff. Yeah, but. One of the things that you've also been busy with, especially in the last year or so, yeah. has been your own work on a as yet unannounced title game. Don't exactly. worry, I won't, I won't give it away. Uh, but <laughs> I am lucky enough to uh, have been one of those who have been on the sort of uh, outsourced beta testing team, shall we call it? Yeah, alpha, 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 alpha testing. Alpha, sorry, yes. Yeah. Okay. Uh, it feels like a beta because it's so the versions that I've played, which are, are numerous now, uh, feel very much, you know, getting towards completion. But um, yeah. what else can you tell us about this game before we talk about the music? Yeah, speaking about games that aren't even out yet, right? Mm. Um, yeah, so we, me and my good friend from Germany, Johannes, who was on the Kenny Rins podcast as well, uh, on the Street Fighter 4 episode, uh, we've been... Uh, since 2013, actually, we've been uh, trying to <laughs> get our feet wet. Is that the proper expression? Yeah, that'll work. Yeah, trying to get our feet wet in uh, the game development side of things. Um, and we've had a lot of um, kind of yeah projects that didn't really go anywhere. Feature creep, they were getting too com complex, or we were just missing a certain hook. Uh, and last August, we decided... You know, let's do something really quick. We can uh, create quite fast. And I didn't realize how recently it was. Yeah, last August only. Uh, maybe July. Maybe it was July 2020. And so we, yeah, we. I had this concept for a long time already about a certain mechanical hook for a horizontally scrolling shoot 'em up And it was, yeah, something that we just quickly threw a prototype for together and it turned out to be super fun and addictive already without any kinds of you know intricate stage design around it or even you know any kind of visuals we we basically ripped some sprites from nes gradius and uh, put it together like that yeah so we started working on that and uh, we got very enthusiastic and um yeah we spent a lot of of our free time on it and then i sent uh i asked uh, Ed Tremblay of Studio Mudprints, also of the YouTube channel uh, Bullet Heaven HD. I kind of asked him, like, hey, would you like to do a, a very small OST for this very simple shoot 'em up we're, we're making? And I always, I think it was maybe six or seven years ago that I was uh, watching one of his videos and he had his own composed music in there. And I commented on the video, I remember saying, like, if I ever am making a shoot 'em up, I want to work with you for the OST because I really dug his sound. Very, um, yeah, like this sort of uh, electronic, uh, very catchy electronic type of music that reminds me of uh, Manabu Namiki's work a lot. And um, yeah, I was not the only one that uh, that whose interest he picked because he also scored the documentary on M2 that uh, My Life in Gaming did on YouTube as well. He did the yeah, OST right. for that. Yeah, and then later. I got in touch with him to do the uh, intro theme for the Video Wizards podcast as well. So I asked him, "Yeah, could you do this? Uh, you know, could you do create a couple of uh, couple of tracks? We need a boss track, we need a stage theme, and we need a um, 
yeah, like a menu or title screen theme. That was pretty much everything that we wanted. It was still super small at the time in our project. Mm. And uh, yeah, he banged those tracks out in like a, uh, yeah, in, in a few days, like in one or two days, mm. he was done with them. And they were, they were brilliant. And that in turn inspired us to actually make more work of our game because we felt like we had this brilliant music. Now we can't just, you know, mm. uh, do something too simple or too, uh, yeah, too yeah, kind of quick with, uh, with it. So his music actually inspired us to make more work out of the, the project. <laughs> and But at that time, we still only had one track for the stage that would just r- repeat acor- across three stages over and over and over again. Yeah. Mm. Uh, and the stage themes are at first just deep space, meteorites, that's, that's all. The, the second stage is sort of a laser barricade. And the third stage is where you fly through all these ships in a, a massive armada uh, and you basically have to wreck shop. So there was definitely a different feel between those three tracks. And when Ed started um, playing the demo that we had, and we started talking with him. He felt like, yeah, you know, we, or maybe it was even some of our uh, alpha feedback from some people saying, yeah, the, the, the stage track is really good, but it, it does become repetitive over time. So we asked him to uh, create uh, three different stage tracks. Yeah. And the one that we're going to listen to, Expendable Blockade DX, is the one for stage three, like where you attack the Armada. And, but this was not the final version. So, where I almost got my stories mixed up is that he actually, when he started playing the demo with the track in there or the alpha version of the game, uh, he felt like, yeah, this actually could use a little bit more work. So there was an expendable blockade track, but this is the expendable blockade DX track, which is now in the uh, yeah the the current build of the game, um, where which is uh, yeah developed a little bit further and it has some uh, some extra bells and whistles added to it. Uh, pretty much a more fleshed out version of the original track for stage three.
That was Ed Tremblay's Expendable Blockade DX for Stage 3 from the upcoming game. The mystery game. Mystery game from Hippie Studio. So what's next? Uh, obviously, I can't really tell people to look out for it in the sense that we don't know what it's called. Well, I do, but we're, we're not allowed to say. But yeah. uh, people may be now curious to find out what's going on. So, uh, But you've, you've got some social media presence. Yeah, exactly. That's all we can uh, refer you to at the time. So uh, at Hitpy Studio. That's eight. Uh, that's at H I T P Studio without the S. I misspoke. Um, and yeah, that's where we'll be announcing stuff, and we're posting some sneak peeks and some little cropped screenshots in there. Uh, up up until now. Um, yeah, it, it feels a little bit awkward to talk about a game. That doesn't even have a an officially announced title yet, right? So, ideally, I would have liked to come with this track uh, later on for uh, for uh, Sound of Play, so I could actually talk more to it and refer people to like a, a store page or something. But yeah, I mean, circumstances. Well, yeah, indeed. And maybe, uh, as I say, maybe there's an opportunity for us to. Uh, either we could do an interview extra, or maybe Chris will want to talk to you in his sausage factory or something like that. So. Yeah, cool stuff. I'm sure there'll be more chances to talk about it, the mystery game. Exactly. Yeah. I, I, folks, it's good. That's what. That's all I'm going to tell you. It's, <laughs> yeah. it's fun. It's a fun game. Thanks. Yeah, it's 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 difficult because it's very easy for us to just start talking about it, but then you know nobody has played it, so you know it it's in, immediately alienating for listeners if we go on too long about it. It plays a bit like that music sounded. Put it that way. Yeah. <laughs> That's fair to say. Now, let's go back in time for a bit with this latest request from our community. From a pretty niche title on a pretty obscure system, if I may say. But I enjoyed it, so I thought, let's have it. Shadowless Kick requests. I first discovered the music of Yoko Kano through her futuristic art pop soundtrack for the anime Macross Plus. I eventually realised that this was just the tip of an insanely huge iceberg. Among her many, many other projects, and stylistically worlds away from the most popular of them, are OSTs for several games from the Nobunaga's Ambition series. I was aware of these games from magazine ads back in the day, but I never played them, as turn-based strategy doesn't appeal to me. Well, aside from Advance Wars, that is. But I don't need to play the games to appreciate her beautiful music for them. The track I've highlighted here is Days of Sunshine from Nobunaga's Ambition Hauden. It's so bright that it's almost childlike and innocent. Surely a brief moment of respite in a series of games all about war.
from Nobunaga's Ambition, Howden from Koai, back on the PC9800 series in 1992. That was uh, Tokugawa Aesu's theme, Days of Sunshine by Yoko Kano. Yeah. Any uh, any history with Nobunaga's Ambition, Mikio? Not I know really. you like a bit of Japanese obscuria. Not really, uh, but uh, Nobunaga and Tokugawa are, of course, very famous names from uh, Japanese history, which I'm quite familiar with. Yeah. Do you did you do you learn Japanese history in Dutch school? Because we certainly don't in no, Britain. No, <laughs> we went from the uh, let's say the early uh, medieval times, maybe uh, Charlemagne, and then we jumped straight to the Second World War. So we skipped a lot. But I was uh, always yeah. really interested in history and cultures from across the world. So I did just a lot of reading up on it myself. I've been learning about it from the game Neo, which is uh, 100% oh, yeah. historically accurate. Yeah, only but if it, it has giant enemy crabs. And, de- yes, demons and etc. Yeah. Now, a series that will never die. Uh, and I don't think it should, by the way. Don't, don't, don't no. get me wrong. Uh, it's a series that continues to be reborn, rebirthed, remade, remastered and updated yeah wonder boy and all the many variants thereof <laughs> the various <laughs> titles it's an incredibly complex uh, history if we ever tried to cover it for for the, for the cane and rinse podcast it would take a lot of effort and work and research to actually pick the bones out of the various licensing yeah. issues and all the different versions of all the different games between uh, Sega and West Tone and various other it has to be outlets. one of the complex intellectual <sighs> properties around yeah yeah Hundred yeah. percent. Yeah, but Wonder Boy, Monster Boy, Dragon's Curse, Dragon's Trap, whatever. Yeah, uh, it's a it's a fine series of uh, adventuring platformers. Yep, bit of hack and slash. Uh, and is this uh, so? This this track you've got is from the uh, yeah, perhaps one of the best known entries in the system, certainly in the West. Yeah, this Wonder one Boy got a three, remake. Dragon's right? Trap. This, this yeah. one got a, a proper remake by Dot uh, Emu. Yeah, and yes. Dragon's Curse. And this one also came out on uh, Wii Virtual Console in a mm. couple of formats. I think it came out both Master System and uh, PC Engine Yeah, I got style. the PC Engine version at the time. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah, there's a number of ways to play this one. Yeah. Uh, you, you were a, a Famicom or NES kid rather than a Master System kid, though. So, uh, yeah. But this tune you, you, you're going to play us is the Master System version from the old, uh, the Master System Bon Tempi, as I like to call it. Indeed. And the reason is, uh, yeah, the, exactly because I was a uh, Nintendo kid, I really like to go back to older Sega systems and, uh, and play and revisit a lot of stuff from on there. And this was Wonder Boy 3, The Dragon's Trap. I think I got the card from... Uh, erstwhile guest of the show uh nicholas suiters uh suits and he's he yeah. had this one double and he was kind enough to send it to me among some other uh double cartridge that he had cartridges nice. that he had um so I, and i always wanted to play all the way through this game because i started dragon's curse the pc engine version on the wii virtual console but it's when you have all these old games on your virtual console, you, you you just don't sit down with one and play it all the way from the beginning to end unless you have a good reason, like a podcast for it, right? Correct. So I decided, you know what? I just when I got the, the cartridge in from uh, from Suits, I felt like I'm going to play all the way through this game because I want to 
get more educated in the uh, what people call yeah. the Metroidvania genre and its uh, earlier beginnings. And mm. I, I've missed out on a lot of games in this uh, in this genre, in the platform adventure, arcade adventure genre. So I want to play all the way through this game. And I did that on uh, my uh, own streaming channel on Twitch, uh, MK Stay on Target. Um, so I played through this game from beginning to end. Um, and the Monster's Lair track is an absolute humdinger. Uh, <laughs> it, it, it was one of those tracks where I just would go to bed and I, f- uh, it was, I was just humming it in my head. And in the morning I would wake up and the, and the, the, the tune was still there. Earworm, locked in. Very much so, yeah. And I'm not a fan of the uh, Sega Master System's typical instrumentation at all, actually. Uh, yeah. The non-FM modulated. It, sa- it sounds so lightweight. Trilly, uh, yeah. It's, very it's, trilly, uh, yeah. There's no punch to it. Yeah. And the, the instrumentation is very uh, limited. But, yeah, you can't, you can't deny just a, a very strong composition. And this was right. a real tune that stuck with me all the time. Let's hear it. This is Shinichi Sakamoto's The Monster's Lair. From Wonderboy 3, The Dragon's Trap, also known as Other Things, but that version hosted that tune on the Sega Master System back in 89. Yeah, I bet the uh, the remake one probably sounds really good. But, uh, mm. Yeah, that, yes, that I have one it in I my library. And, uh, and Monster Boy as well. And there's the new one coming up, which is a remake of Monster World 4. Yeah, or some continuation of that at least. Yes, yes, right. They keep, they keep them, they do keep them coming. There was even a remake of uh, the coin-op Wonder Boy not so long ago, which wasn't tremendously well-received, but it is out there and yeah. isn't terribly expensive. Yeah, yeah. we spoke about the original Wonder Boy coin-op on Video Wizards as well last year. Good stuff. That was everywhere that uh, machine was. It was. 
Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Can still hear it. Yeah. Uh, some more Sega, but mm. from uh, a bit more recently. Yeah. From a series of uh, games that we are covering, albeit in a very, uh, not ponderous fashion, but in a measured fashion, rather than burning ourselves out with too much Yakuza, we're playing, uh, so far it's been uh, a game or two a year. We've already covered Yakuza 0 and the first Kiwami, and we're going to be talking about Yakuza Kiwami 2 later in 2021. But to tide us over, here's a request from Nix Fontana, who says, When I think of final boss themes, I tend to envision something bombastic, something that is equal parts menacing and energetic in a way that makes you anxious as to what the boss might throw at you. That's not really the case with A Scattered Moment, though. Rather, this piece is tinged with a beautiful melancholy that perfectly showcases the mindset and feelings of the main character and his rival at this point in the game. From atop a building amidst the gentle falling snow, two men who greatly respect each other battle to see who is the best once and for all. And they always have the shirt off, of course. Naturally, got to show those tattoos. Yep. (laughs)
Hidenori Shoji's A Scattered Moment from uh, Yakuza Kiwami 2, Ryu Gagotoku Studios' uh, second remake. Bit of a shocking uh, revelation for me because uh, soon after finishing Kiwami 1 for the show, I installed Kiwami 2 mm. and uh, started playing it. Now, every pretty much every take I've seen, certainly on our forum and everywhere else online, says that Kiwami 2, Kiwami 2 is like the where the series really kicked in. And uh, it's got some severe advantages over the first game, more, you know, uh, a more focused storyline and, and more exciting drama, more mini games, mm. more et cetera, et cetera. But it was a bit shocking uh, to come to it and find that unlike Kiwami 1, it's only 30 frames a second. It's oh. not, a, not a 60 FPS game. Okay. Uh, well, not, as yeah, usual, not I deal played the original Yakuza 2, of course. So. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Uh, yes, this one did come out on PS2, even in Europe back in the day. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. Was this piece of music present? Um, I can't really recall. I might have to really go back and check ago. that. I I, um, I played through this on my own streaming channel as well, uh, Yakuza 2. So I might just mm. have to uh, watch some of that back again because I <laughs> uplo- uploaded all the streams to, to my YouTube channel too. You're too busy waving waving your pecs around <laughs> to notice the music. Exactly. Uh, yeah, so the second game, the first one was famous for its English dub, which we talked about on the Kiwami show a bit because yeah. you played the, the PS2 game. The second game, was, was it Japanese only with subs? Yeah, that's it. Y- yeah. Okay, so not so dissimilar to uh, playing Kiwami 2 in 2017 or mm. any time after. Oh. Anyway. Uh, I'm looking forward to getting back into that, despite that shocking frame rate situation. (laughs) (laughs) It'll be fine once I get used to it. Just after coming off the back of Zero and Kiwami both being... Yeah, that is odd. ...smooth. Um, Yeah, I think there there are reasons, but I'm not sure what they are. But um, I I thought, is this a weird bug or something? But no, I looked it up online and there it is. That's the situation. Exactly. And speaking of frame rate shocks... Good segue. You see, that was so good, it went right over my head. <laughs> Your next selection comes from a game that we covered very recently on the Kane and Rings yeah. podcast. And that that I completed very recently as well. I think somewhere okay. in December or something. I finally yeah. I got the game one year before that and I played yeah. bits and pieces through it throughout the year. And then by December, I just felt like, okay, I need to wrap this up now. Okay. Yeah, I just completed it for the show, really. So earlier this year. Yeah. Uh, Link's Awakening is the game. We originally covered the the Game Boy and Game Boy Color versions back mm. in issue 212. The Switch version we covered in 4.6.2. Yeah, it's an interesting story. We had, uh, there was a good spread of opinions on that show from both the panel and the listeners alike. Yeah. I listened to it uh, earlier this week. Yeah. Yeah. And that that notorious frame rate issue the game effectively lurches between 30 and 60 on a regular basis yeah and it's it's a bit odd mm. and it seems to be an a, a problem that they couldn't rectify because they've never patched it properly yeah um did it did it affect your enjoyment of the game overall uh maybe very slightly yeah i mean not i can't say it really affected my enjoyment but yeah like Good. you guys were pointing out on the podcast it's strange to have this sort of jittery frame rate in a Nintendo game, mm. you know, you'd at least expect something consistent. Yeah, true. Yeah, but lots to like as well. I think it's Definitely. fair to say because yeah. the the design of the original shines through. The dungeons are still there, 
exactly as they were before with with the modernized graphics, which again proved divisive. Yeah, the, uh, the I think the, it looks absolutely adorable. You love personally. it, right? Yeah, yeah. Like all these cool. little clay doll, yeah, kind right. of uh, toy-like, yeah, approximations of the original sprites. Yeah, that's good. And yes, again, as with uh, we were talking about ghosts and goblins. Really, the order of the day for the soundtrack here was, of course, arranged versions for the most part yeah. of the original Game Boy tunes. Yeah. Yeah, what stuck out to me about the dungeon themes for this game, and they all sort of share uh, a similar melody, kind of like how all the tracks in Super Mario World share a melody, right? But then, yeah, different tempos and uh, different, different arrangements, different yeah. moods, and, moods and keys, exactly. Uh, but all of them sound pretty sinister, actually. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I I totally. Uh, I I'm trying to think. I don't think Breath of the Wild has so much of this as much as uh, I know you and I both adore that game. Yeah. But the old the old Zeldas had a bit more horror to them. I yeah. think a bit a bit more. Yeah, just a bit more edge, a bit more sinister. Yeah. Uh, which I guess maybe I'm trying to think what the turning point would have been. I, I would say Wind Waker, but then Twilight Princess also has its sort of mood. Yeah. Even but, Skyward Sword has uh, some yeah, yeah, creepy bits in it. Yeah, uh, and, and I consider it a kind of part of the Zelda experience to have a few bits that are a little bit off-kilter and unsettling. Certainly Ocarina had it, and obviously Majora's Mask is pretty much one whole nightmare. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah exactly. Yeah, the only thing in Breath of the Wild I can think of is that weird statue in Hatena Village. Oh, yeah. Or Hatena oh, yeah. Village, yeah. What is that all about? Yeah, where you can uh, sort of barter with uh, spirit orbs, or, or with to 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 of yeah, course, sacrifice yeah. bits of your life meter for power. That's right, that, yeah. which is a sinister concept. Exactly. So, why did you pick Tail Cave, the level one dungeon? Um, yeah, I mean, it could have been any uh, level X dungeon theme that I picked. Uh, I just settled on this one because it has that. Uh, it has a playful kind of instrumentation, like a lot of the arranged versions of the music in Link's Awakening, the remake has. Um, but it sounds, yeah, at the same time, yeah, very, very sinister. And it's one of those themes that just kind of stuck with me in the arrangements as well. And it's just got those little hints of the original Game Boy sound palette as well. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Those little, little beepy accents. And yeah, I mean... But looking at the the whole, when I was thinking what kind of tracks I want to bring to Sound of Play, I, I just, you know, I've done uh, some shows already where I just picked favorites from the past. So I was really just looking for uh, music of games I've had more recent history with, whether, you know, never minding the time that they were released in. Yeah. And yeah. So something that was still fresh in the memory. And Absolutely. yeah, this one definitely uh, fit that bill. Thank you. 
That was Tail Cave, the level one dungeon music from the 2019 remake of The Legend of Zelda Link's Awakening. The sound on the original was done by uh, Kazumi Totaka, Minako Hamano and uh, Kazuya Ishikawa. The arranged versions for and some of the new themes for the uh, the Switch game, as with Grezzo's A Link Between Worlds, was done by, uh, were done, I should say, by Ryo Nagamatsu. Penultimate piece for this sound of play is some more Japanese RPG music from a game uh, I've yet to play, but I'm curious about as a fan of the series, a fan of the series who's only ever properly played one of the games from it. <laughs> Does that count? Yeah. Uh, and then fan, we fan play... of, uh, of Secret of Mana, at least. Yeah, yeah, Seiken Dead Sets. Yeah. And then we play from the forum says, I recently received a copy of Trials of Mana Remake and a copy of Collection of Mana for Christmas this year. Normally, when I get a new JRPG, it takes me a month or two to reach the ending. Trials of Mana, however, I reached the end in a matter of four days. One of the songs from the remake that really stood out to me is called Decision Bell. I really enjoy songs from video games that sound spiritual. Hymn of the Faith from Final Fantasy X comes to mind as well. Maybe it's that these songs tend to sound somewhat melancholic. Either way, I hope you enjoy the tune. This is Hiroki Kikuta's Decision Bell.
the Sanctuary of Mana theme from Trials of Mana by, is it Zine or Xine? I'm not actually sure about the sub-team that makes Me neither. Trials of Mana. Oh. Square Enix, anyway, uh, came out for the PC and the PS4 and the Switch last year, 2020. A lot of these picks remind me of games that I still need to buy, like yeah, right. uh, yeah. Octopath Traveler and yeah. uh, <laughs> at least a collection of Mana, because... Yes. Yeah, I mean, I remember those screenshots of Second and Sets uh, 3 in yes. magazines from back in the days looking so gorgeous, the pixel art yeah. in there. So I at least want to play the original version. Yeah, I bought the uh, I bought the collection. And uh, yes, yeah. so it's a nice little pack. I'm glad it eventually did come out over here after uh, arriving in Japan sometime earlier. The fact that uh, it took our correspondent and then we played just a few days to beat Trials of Mana, the remake, actually makes it more appealing to me. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Not, it, don't, it doesn't necessarily, uh, and then we play doesn't necessarily suggest that it's a short game. It may be just that they put in eight hours a day or something for, or 10 hours a day or whatever for, for a few days. But it may be that it's not the, the most meaty RPG, JRPG, which is... Uh, uh, which can be an all right thing. I'm currently yeah. 20 hours into Xenoblade Chronicles. I was going and, to say. And I'm enjoying it, but uh, it is, I like the epicness of it. But of course, as always, we've all got so many wonderful games that we want to play that playing anything for 100 hours, yeah, there's that sort of, I could be, I've, I've now seen what this offers. I could be playing something else kind of thing, even, yeah. even when you're enjoying it. Even when you're enjoying that, it, uh, when you have, Access to so many games, it feels like you're when you're spending so much time with one game, it feels like you're neglecting a whole lot of other games at the same time. Yeah, yeah, and I think that's quite common. Now, I know that Editor J is not one of these people, he's uh, very happy to play one game extensively for an extended mm. period of time yeah. and then move on to his next thing. But, uh, but yeah, it doesn't work that way for me. <laughs> I'm always yeah. juggling hundreds of games, yeah, uh, which is a common experience among many. But yes, the fact that Hiroki Kakuta returned to do the music for Trials of Mana, or um, I, again, I'm not actually sure. It's probably arrangements, isn't it, mainly of uh, of existing Super Nintendo, Super Famicom tunes. Mm. But uh, lovely stuff. Anyway, I've said it many times before. It's probably one of the first pieces of music I ever played on Sound of Play would have been one of Hiroki Kakuta's from the original, the original Super right. Mana. Yeah. Yeah. One of my favorite soundtracks. Uh, yeah. of all time it is very lovely yeah so uh, this is a piece now this was a good nostalgia blast for me because sometimes the pieces we feature on here are, uh, are well known sometimes they're completely unknown to me mm. and then sometimes whether it's a request from uh, the, the the community or whether it's a guest they'll they'll manage to pick a piece which i like and i remember liking but i haven't listened to for in this case literally about 23 years wow so uh i'd forgotten that in street fighter ex plus alpha the some of the characters that were returning from the non arica games yeah had different tunes exactly so i guess when i first saw that uh, sakura was in street fighter ex plus alpha i was expecting some kind of rearrangement of her famous pop song tune from Alpha 2. Yeah. But no, it's a different piece. It's something completely different. But it's yeah. so joyous, isn't it? It's, uh, yeah, it is really fun. I mean, it's still, you would keep it in the loose bracket of J-pop, I suppose. Yeah, yeah we covered uh, the original Street Fighter EX, the arcade release on 
episode 12 of the Video Wizards podcast, uh, uh-huh. January 1997. So in the month of January this year, we uh, put that out. And to prepare myself for that, I played Street Fighter EX Plus Alpha on the uh, mm. PlayStation to get a little bit more of a feel again for it after yeah. my you know long time gone uh, sort of experiences with the uh, with the arcade release. Yeah, and yeah, it's I kind of was I was playing through the arcade mode with uh, I think it was Alan Schneider and <laughs> um, that famous Street Fighter character. Exactly, Alan Schneider. And (laughs) then I got to Sakura and uh, my boy was sitting next to me and he said, hey, daddy, this sounds like the uh, outro tune music that uh, Maximilian, uh, uh, you know, the fighting game community YouTuber is always playing on his his videos because uh, me and him like to watch some of his videos from time to time. Yeah. And I said, no, yeah, it sounds like it, but I don't think it is. And then the track develop further and further because he picked a certain section of the track and then placed that at the end of his videos. And then, yeah, it really hit us. Yeah, I mean, my boy was right. It was that track. Right. Uh, yeah, it is an exceptionally joyous piece of uh, crazy saxophone music. Um, <laughs> and and you, was, you were saying, uh, what did you describe the music again as? D- uh, did I say J-pop? I, J-pop, I mean, right. Yeah, I yeah. mean, I, I don't know. Yeah, you said, uh, I you said J-pop. I think Ben, when we talked about the music for this game as a whole, also the arcade, uh, arcade mm. uh, version of the original arcade incarnation. He had a very good uh, description for it. He called it wistful action jazz. <laughs> okay, yeah, that's better. <laughs> and yeah, that, uh, that sort of stuck with some, me. Some light jazz funk in, in, in that mold. Yeah. I'm wondering, actually, now I do vaguely re- remember seeing a Street Fighter EX coin-op in Brighton back in the day, but I don't think it did very well or lasted no, very long. Same, same. I saw I, one in Amsterdam as well, and it uh, was uh, sure. always abandoned, yeah. I bought the PS1 game and really enjoyed it, played it quite a lot. Yeah. Uh, I assume that, as with a lot of coin-ops of the time, was the music on the arcade machine uh, kind of a bit, a bit less... Uh, fully formed like was yeah, it arranged it was. arranged versions for ps1 definitely arranged yeah. version of the, uh, for the ps1 version and uh sakura was not in street fighter ex she was a uh, good point. EX plus alpha character of course yeah. yeah yeah something that i also almost got mixed up when we were doing the podcast yeah so. well easily done yeah i can't yeah. remember what the original lineup was but it had even fewer street fighter legacy characters didn't it i think the uh yeah the, i think it was per, I, it was pretty equal but they added some more in the uh EX right. plus alpha release yeah then there was an ex2 uh which yeah. i didn't get and uh and ps1 launch t- uh, ps2 launch title ex3 yeah ex3 which again i never never played but um of and course, i was fighting ex layer indeed yeah uh which is yeah available very cheap now i don't think it made a big splash on the fighting game scene maybe in a very niche pocket of yeah the community there there it. are some diehard players for sure for and uh, scalomania made a return which was yeah. A big deal for fans And they got Terry Bogart in there. Yeah, right. Okay. Yeah. So yeah, it's a, it's a funny series with a with an odd legacy. Arika, of course, have just uh, smashed it out of the park once again with their work on Pac-Man 99. Oh, that was them again. Yeah. Of course, yeah. yeah. So they 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 famous I guess they've ended up with this gig because they did those Tetris games for the arcade and Xbox 360 mm. back in the 2000s. Yeah. So when it came to Tetris 99 existing, 
they teamed up with Nintendo, I guess. Yeah. And this time they've, I get, I, I'd be interested to know in which order these things happen, but did Bandai Namco then approach Arika or, or what? And, or was it the other way around and said, I reckon we can do this with, mm. uh, we've done it. Well, they, I assume they did Mario 35 as well. It must, yeah. it must be the same tech. Yeah, it must be. And now they and now they've absolutely nailed it with Pac-Man 99 as well, which I've been playing this very day. Nice. Uh, and I haven't that, tried that one yet. It's oh yeah, it's uh I I think it 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 suits the formula really really well, yeah. I think. I wasn't they, too crazy about Super Mario 35. No, I I thought it was okay. I I yeah. played it a few times, got a win and then retired uh and yeah. Nintendo then retired the game, but I'm not like <laughs> heartbroken about it. It it was yeah. a, a novelty. Shall yeah, we say, but te- I, I, we covered Tetris ninety nine along with Tetris Effect on a podcast. I think that one's a, a a banger, and yeah, this one I think just works really well. One of the one of the notable things about it, from a sound of play point of view, is that as per the mighty mighty Pac Man Championship Edition and DX and DX Plus, they've managed to get more banging tunes out of the original Pac Man music. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. There's always one more dance remix of Pac-Man you can make, apparently. Yeah. Uh, but that's not this. This uh, this sounds very different. We're going back to, uh, yeah, this sounds about as 1997 as a piece of music can, I would say. Pretty much, yeah. 1997 video game. So yeah. we'll leave you with this, listener. Thanks again for joining me, Mikhail. You're very much welcome. Thanks for having me. And uh, we'll play you out with Precious Heart, Sakura's theme, by Shinji Hosso from Street Fighter EX Plus Alpha Alpha on the PS1. And we'll see you next time on Sound of Play. <laughs>